Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. We're going to go to Luke chapter 19. All four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, record this event. Um, now, the synoptic gospels are mostly Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, they're the most similar. They follow a certain chronological order. John, he stands out from the rest. He doesn't care much about things being in sequence and order of events. He just, by revelation, writes the scriptures. But here, this event, all four gospel writers took note to talk about this because this is the beginning of Christ's week of suffering and travail, rejection, Everything that he came for is, is crescendoing here in this week. And this moment right here marks the beginning of that week. The day when Jesus Christ enters into Jerusalem. And we're going to read from Luke, Luke's account, chapter 19 and verse 29. I've simply titled this message, All Hail King Jesus. All hail King Jesus. I want you to say those words. All hail King Jesus. Amen. Luke chapter 19 and verse 29. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said exactly what Jesus told them to say. The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Verse 38, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples or teacher. Rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, that religious voice is ugly, isn't it? But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Interesting, this is this uproar of praise and celebration and hallelujahs and, and all hail to this coming king, King Jesus, as he's triumphantly entering into Jerusalem, and yet he starts crying. And these are not tears of joy. He begins to weep for this people who, it seems here in this moment that they're all on the right page here, right? They're, they're recognizing him for who he is. The problem is, is that they think he's here to do one thing, but he's here to do something completely different than what they think he's come to do. And he wept over Jerusalem. Verse 42, saying, 
if you had known, even you, especially in this your day. In other words, this is your moment, this is your time, the things that make for your peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you. Now remember, Jesus isn't standing up preaching some kind of angry message here. He's weeping as he's saying these words. You can see that his heart is broken for his people. Knowing why he has come, he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. Knowing this week is going to be a week of suffering for these people. Knowing the kind of price that would be paid. Knowing just how lost Adam has become. Who looking at his many descendants who cannot read the hour and cannot read the moment. And as he's weeping, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. In AD 70, this prophecy that Jesus just declared here literally came to pass. And when Jerusalem was burned to the ground and not one stone was left on another because as they dismantled the temple of Solomon or Herod's temple, which Jesus gave it the same credence as Solomon's temple, was when they had set fire to it, all the gold that was in the ceiling of that thing had run down into the cracks of the walls. So they were ordered to take every stone apart so that they could get all the gold out of those cracks and crevices. This prophecy literally came to pass in AD 70. But as you read the four Gospels, you'll discover that one-third of the material written on the life of Jesus involves the last week of his life. Uh, Luke's Gospel here, which is the most in volume, it's uh, 24 chapters. Now, Matthew has 20, 28 chapters, but Luke has more volume in it. It's 24 chapters in it. But one-fourth of this gospel itself is dedicated to uh, the last week of Jesus' life. In the book of John, which is 21 chapters, half of the, the gospel of John is focused on this final week. So those who wrote down the stories of Jesus, these men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are telling us something with that emphasis. It's about the most important part of Jesus' whole journey here, his life, his, his birth, his life, and his death. Uh, we see the emphasis is really on that last week of his life. The most important part of his life on earth is revealed really in the last week of his life. The words that describe the experiences of Jesus last week are a whole gamut of emotions. The, there's ups and downs that um, and you see here in this moment, it's a, it's a good emotion. These emotions are up. Everybody's shouting his praises. But the very same crowd just a few days later, I'm talking just a few days later, less than a week later, are also crying, crucify him. So, I mean, we all know the words. We know the words, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We know about the confrontation. We know about the betrayal of, of one of his own disciples. We know about Peter's denial of Jesus. He denied him three times. We know about this kangaroo court that he stood before, this mockery of a trial that was done by night, which was illegal to do. We also know of his scourging, where he endured the Roman lictern, where they beat him 
and beat him and beat him and tore his body to shreds for our healing. We know crucifixion, where he was lifted up. He was pierced for our transgressions. We know his burial, that he was put in a borrowed tomb, the tomb of a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. And then the most astonishing and unexpected words, he is not here, he is risen. Palm Sunday at its best is a day of temporary triumph. And at its worst, what it does is reveals the fickle nature of the voice of the people. This week lifts us up with shouts of praise. It reveals the darkness of denial and betrayal. It shows the weakness of his disciples fleeing for their lives in fear. The mixed feelings and the indecision of Pontius Pilate himself not knowing exactly what to do with this man. The agony of Jesus' death between the two thieves, one who cursed him all along the way, and another one finally had an awakening and realized this man is not like other men. After he heard the gracious words coming from his mouth in his dying breaths, as he's gasping for air, only able to say just a few words at a time, and yet all of those sayings of Jesus on the cross are so meaningful. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He wasn't just up there casually speaking. Every word cost him something. And this man, upon hearing him, took it upon himself to say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I've spent my entire life wasting it stealing from others. And now I'm rightfully getting mine, but I'm asking you, is there <laughs> any chance? And Jesus said, today you'll be with me. Okay, Jesus, I promise you, I'm going to give you the rest of my life. Two hours or so. And Jesus gladly took him, didn't he? He gladly took all of us. It all begins with Palm Sunday, a day of praise and adoration. Jesus enters Jerusalem for the very last time. And up until this moment, Jesus had purposefully and strategically avoided public acclaim. You can read several places where Jesus would heal someone and he would tell them, don't, go, don't, don't say a word about this. Now, I used to wonder about that. Why, why do you need to keep this a secret, Jesus? And it wasn't because he, he didn't want them to testify. It was because he knew his mission and that he was on a timetable. And that if the people, if, if the news got out, and the news got out anyway, didn't it? Right? I mean, he could barely even keep the people, keep his fame from going out. Because, I mean, who's not going to report about a man who raises people from the dead? A man who causes the lame, the paralyzed, to walk again, to tell them to get up. The man who opens blind eyes, a man who unstops deaf ears. I mean, who's not going to talk about that? 
I mean, this, this man is doing astonishing things and going, shh, don't say anything. Like, really, Jesus? Our lives are being transformed. You're changing the world. You're revolutionizing. We've never seen anything like this, and you expect us to just be quiet about it. He knew that they necessarily couldn't really keep quiet about it, but he did his best because he was here to do the Father's will. And he knew that, that God is moved by people, and because of his love for people, the, the time, the schedule could get off real quick. I mean, we saw that with the lady with the issue of blood, right? He's on his way to heal somebody, Jairus' daughter, who's 12 years old, who's just at, at death's door. And this woman comes along in the crowd. And by faith, she apprehends Jesus for the moment and steals, if you will, healing from him. And he says, I felt power go out of me. He wasn't handing it out to her. He was going to hand it out to somebody else. And she came up from behind him and took it because she said, if I may only touch the hem of his garment. So he knows how God works and how God responds to people of faith. And when, when you're in the atmosphere of faith, he's there ready and he'll work and he'll move on your behalf. And so there's a there is a schedule, though. There is a clock that's ticking, and he knows that Calvary is just down the road, and he's got to get there. And so there's this gathering storm, if you will, as these reports are going on about him, even though he doesn't want any part of fame, unlike so many people in this world. They're just looking for some window of fame, some just give me that 15 minutes, and Jesus wants nothing to do with it. How many of you know that fame is not all it's cut out to be? I mean, I don't know about that. I'm just saying, just from seeing lives wrecked by it all the time. It chews people up and just spits them out. And for the moment, it's good, but there's more to life than that. And so Jesus enters this city of Jerusalem riding, riding on a donkey. Now, the fact that he was not riding some war horse, some valiant steed shows us that he's not come for war he's come for peace and but they that's not what the people were expecting remember this jesus is looking over jerusalem remember he's weeping because he says you you're missing it you missed your day of visitation you 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 everything that could make for your peace you've missed it because they're looking for something else if you back up here in luke chapter 19 you see what their agenda was. You see what they were expecting, what their hope was. In Luke chapter 19, verse 11, it says, Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. All right, so they're ready for Jesus now to throw off this Roman occupation, this, this Roman oppression, and, and take his rightful place as the son of David, to sit on David's throne and establish the kingdom right there, and then Israel would be the glory of the earth, right? Uh, that's not why he came. Now, if Jesus had been riding a stallion, like in, in uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, I love it, it says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon him was faithful and true. Now that Jesus, when he comes back, he's coming for war. He's coming to bring vengeance upon those who rejected his blood sacrifice. Huh? All the enemies of heaven, the enemies of God. And, and that's going to be a real quick work, actually. But he's coming on the horse. But here he comes into Jerusalem. And I like what Zechariah 
a few hundred years before Jesus comes, Zechariah the prophet writes these words. Listen to this. And he's talking about this day, this moment right here. Jesus is what we call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Now, when you hear words like this, you feel the anticipation building. Like, why are we celebrating? Why do I need to shout? What am I rejoicing about? Behold, your king is coming to you. And so now, now this is evoking some images right in your head. This, the king's coming. Uh, he is just and having salvation. That all sounds great. Lowly, riding on a donkey. It's like the... <laughs> you hear the, the, the needle scrape across the record, right? The music... Wait, wait, wait. Shout! Give prayer! Look! Oh, wow, what a, what a marvelous entrance. A colt, the foal of a donkey. Not only just a donkey, but he's coming on a baby donkey. Isn't that a sight to behold? Sometimes I want to help Jesus with the imagery that he portrays. Wrath of the Lamb. Wrath of the Lamb? How about Wrath of the Lion? That makes sense. Wrath of the Lamb? An angry Lamb! That's a baby sheep, right? Like, come on, Lord. These are not proper images. Yeah, it's the lamb because the lamb was the one who was slain for us. So the lamb's blood must be avenged. The cheers that greeted Jesus were tremendous here. I mean, you got to think about this is the time of the Passover there. Everybody comes to Jerusalem at this time. Jews from all over the world, they come and they gather here at this time. There are thousands upon multiplied thousands of people here. This is no small event. His disciples themselves were even caught up in the moment to the degree that the Pharisees now rebuke them. They turn to Jesus and tell him to tell them to stop saying what they're saying. They're shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The first day, this first day of Jesus' final week begins with joy and ends in this day with Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. So what can we say about this beginning of the Holy Week that will help us where we live right now, where we live in this time. Jesus is greeted with great joy. He deserved to be. He had been drawing huge crowd for, crowds for some time. They'd seen the miracles with their own eyes. They heard him gladly. There seemed to be a huge rush of people that gathered to him wherever he went. I mean, he crossed a lake and they get wind of him being over there and the crowds would just gather. And Jesus couldn't help but have compassion on them. And his words of grace and truth spoke right into the hearts of the people, as they still do to us today. The authority of his presence was commanding wherever he went. The things he did were extraordinary. He stirred up hope is what he did in the hearts of the people wherever he went. He taught the people about the kingdom of God and the goodness of our Father in heaven. He expressed the goodness of God, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. And he said, whatever I do, 
I do because that's what the Father does. I don't say anything He doesn't want me to say. I only say what He tells me to say, and I only do what He tells me to do. So we see the goodness of God. When you see Jesus, we see the Father, right? And then what He told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you, being evil, He said, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask? This is who Jesus was embodying here, the expression of the Godhead bodily, the Bible says of him. And so he's here to show us this good God. But these kingdom truths that he brought, I love the way Jesus did it. He didn't do it by just stating plain kingdom truths because this people could not have understood that. He came right into the living room of their lives and told everyday kind of stories, talked about farming, talked about sowing seeds, and, and met the people where they live. And in teaching these stories and telling these stories, the, the father whose son took his inheritance and went away, the woman who had lost her coin, the, the shepherd who had lost his sheep and left the 99 and went out for that one wandering sheep. It's those stories that grabbed the people and, and got their attention to where they could understand, their eyes could be open to the magnitude of these kingdom truths. Jesus Parents brought their children to Jesus, and he took the time at his disciples' chagrin to take those children up into his lap and to lay his hands on them and to bless them. He was rightfully met with joy this first day of this final week, this triumph. I mean, this, <laughs> as Jesus was shunning fame, this day, it's like he pulled out all the stops. He's coming into Jerusalem today to make a statement. I mean, boy, did he ever make a statement. huh? I mean, and when you read John's account, the Pharisees, they're watching all this happen, and they start talking to one another. They say, they see, you've done nothing. The whole world's gone after him. They can see their whole religious world crumbling. Thank God. But this entry into Jerusalem would mark the end of, of the spontaneous public approval of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And as this week progresses, things start to spiral down rather quickly all the way up until Friday. There's this murderous plan, this plot that's forged by the religious leaders along with Jesus' disciple Judas. Then betrayal from his own disciple and then his arrest, his trial, and his execution. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before, this, uh, before Jesus is arrested, he's there praying, and he's asking his disciples to pray with him, and they can't. I mean, they're too tired. They go to sleep. He even goes and grabs his three favorite guys, Peter, James, and John, and pulls them even closer to where he's praying and says, guys, pray with me. Watch with me. Pray with me. What do they do? They sleep. He needs them. He's, they can't sense the moment. He is in distress. And his, his body is breaking down, physically breaking down. He, uh, Dr. Luke writes that Jesus sweat great drops of blood. He's just moments away from death, and, and yet his guys are just asleep. They're not sensing it. They don't see it. Because this is a picture of Adam in the sleep of death because of sin. There was nothing that man could offer up in assistance to his redemption. The disciples sleeping in the garden is a picture of us being dead in our trespasses. And this was all on Jesus to do. Aren't you glad he did it? 
And as Jesus has gone through some of his suffering already, he's already had the crown of thorns beat down upon his head. He's already been scourged with that Roman scourge. And now they put that cross of wood upon him and, and command him to carry that cross outside toward that hill called Golgotha. And as he's making his way, it's too much. He's bled already so much. Can't imagine the, the fatigue and the weariness that he must be enduring in this moment. And, and, and just the continual jeering from the crowd and the rejection and the spitting on him, the pain that he must be feeling. Finally, they call for a man by the name of Siren, uh, Simon from a place called Cyrene, Simon of Cyrene, to come and help Jesus, assist him get that cross up that hill. And it's interesting that why, where are the disciples here? Where are the disciples? Do you remember right before this, the, the night before this happens, they call, Peter says, listen, if all are made to stumble, I won't do that. All these guys might leave you. He said, I won't be that guy, Jesus. I'll be here. And Jesus said, before morning, you're going to deny me three times. Ouch. And the other disciples agreed with Peter. Yeah, Lord, we're with you. Well, what the heck happened? I mean, we're all, they're all in on, uh, that night. But by morning, they're all running for their lives, scared to death. Don't want to be associated with this man because they might die too after what's happening to him. They, realize, they think we're next, and they probably would have been. And so they run for their lives. And, but, but here's the thing. Here he is in his worst suffering, and he's struggling carrying this cross. You would think, you know, upon seeing the struggle, that one of them would jump out from the crowd and to help come to his rescue, to do something to help Jesus. There he, one disciple around. They have to find this foreigner who's just there with his two sons there for the feast, and all of a sudden he gets pulled into this deal. Where are the volunteers? Where are the disciples? Nowhere to be found. The same people that cheered for Jesus on Sunday cried crucify him before the week was over. And when Jesus did enter the city of Jerusalem, he weeps. He wept over Jerusalem because he saw it as a place of lost opportunity. He tried, but they continued to reject. He explained his mission over and over, made it very clear from time and time again, but they just didn't get it. They just didn't get it. Even his own close circle of followers in his final days, here's the kind of arguments they're having amongst themselves, out, just outside of earshot of Jesus, or they think they are. And this is basically their argument. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. This, they've been with Jesus three and a half years, and they're arguing who's the greatest. Or they're thinking, who gets to sit next to Jesus in the coming kingdom? Right? And so they're all figuring, wondering, and then John and James go get Mama and say, Hey, Mama, if you talk to Jesus, maybe he'll let us. Oh, what's wrong with you dudes? So mama comes on behalf of her son. Can my boys set one on each side of you in the coming kingdom? And you got to see Jesus has got to be like, oh, my God. My God, that's me. <laughs> what in the name of me is going on here? Why? <laughs> now, the disciples obviously see that there's, they know that there's danger in the air. Right? You can feel this gathering storm. You can, 
Even when Jesus talked about going to the cross, Peter says, Lord, far be that from you. Well, then Jesus turns around and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter didn't know that he was talking on the devil's behalf. You know, he's thinking, Lord, this is not a good idea. You're not supposed to die. Why did Jesus persist, though, in going to Jerusalem? Why is his face set on it, knowing that he's about to walk into a buzzsaw? I mean, this, this is chaos that's about to ensue. And he knows it's there, and he's purposefully going there. Why would he do that? I had this great uncle, uh, my grandfather's brother, Uncle Raymond, who ran a transmission shop uh, in the thriving metropolis known as Thackerville, Oklahoma. And... Um, he was, uh, his son was out mowing the yard one day on a riding mower. Now, this is years and years ago before riding mowers had those safety features. You know, should you, you know, get up off the seat, you know, it, it, uh, the, it'll cut the engine off. Um, but this is, this is an old school riding mower. So um, his son, David, was, was mowing along this, this ridge, this edge. And anyway, the, he fell off of the mower. And so as my uncle is seeing this happen, he begins to run toward David to see if he can help him. Well, in the process of him falling, somehow that mower spun around on its back wheels and now is coming down like this on David on the ground. And my uncle Raymond got there just in time to knock the mower out of the way and save David's life, but he lost his finger. This transmission mechanic <laughs> lost his fingers. I can remember as a kid, as a kid being over at their house and seeing that brown glove on his hand. And I always liked when he had it on. But there were times when he'd take it off and there would just be these nubs across here. But he kept working on transmissions with a thumb and left hand. But why in the world would Jesus go into this mess? One reason, because he loves us. Because he loves us. And he's willing to lay down his own life, to sacrifice whatever he needs to sacrifice so that you and I could live. And he weeps here over Jerusalem because he knew that they were not going to respond. He knew that they would reject him. An opportunity missed. Earlier in this passage, we see this phrase, the Lord has need of it or the Lord has need of him. And there are people right now that are in your life that need, that are in need. And so my question for you concerning this Holy Week, and I believe it arises out of this, is that do we have anything that we're willing to share with him? After what he has offered up for us, giving us life itself and eternal life to boot. There are people in need, and God has put those people strategically in your life because he knows that you are somebody who has resource. Whether that is a prayer, whether that is financial help, whether that is something that you could help them out with, give wisdom, whatever it may be, they're in your life for that purpose. And if you'll just say, Lord, what is it that you need from me? What do you, what, what do you need from me? I'll, I'll be that willing, ready, and available vessel to be used by you. Hmm? Let's take a moment right now. Just, just ask you. So I say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm ready. You have need of me. I say yes to you. Whatever you're called, whenever you call on me, 
Whatever you call me to do, Lord, I'll do it. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say it. And wherever you want me to go, I'll go. The Lord has need of you. The Lord has need of all of us. All of us should ask that question, where can I give of myself? Where can I give of my gifts to his glory and to his use? Because it gives him great pleasure when we give to him. The Lord has need of you today. It all begins by giving him your heart. That's why he came. Jesus said, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. God came because he loves you. Jesus went through what he went through because he loves you. And God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, we want to thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that even though this entry into Jerusalem was a temporary triumph, but Lord, by the end of that week, praise God, it was the ultimate triumph. As you overcame sin, you overcame death, you overcame sickness and disease, you overcame, Father God, death, hell, and the grave. And when you came up out of that grave, you said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And rightfully so. You are Lord of all. All hail King Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world to receive all glory and blessing and honor and praise. We thank you, Jesus, that you did not. You looked death in the face and did not flinch. We thank you that you took up the cause of all the black sheep and you died for our sins. And they buried you in a tomb and three days later God raised you from the dead. And you ascended into heaven and are seated right now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. We don't have a God. We don't love a God. We don't serve a God who doesn't understand us and can't feel what we can. He's, your word says that he is touched with the very feelings of our infirmities. He's known rejection like none of us has ever known. He's known hurt and suffering and pain like none of us has ever known. That's why he can sympathize. That's why he can empathize. That's why he's here to be a very present help in our times of trouble. And he wants you to know that he understands you and knows where you are and there is no darkness that's too dark. <laughs> There's no distance that's too far. There's no sin that's too great. There's no trouble that's too, too big. Nothing is impossible. And he's here on your side, and he is the way. He is the truth, and he is the life. Lord, thank you for what you've provided for us. As we're looking down this road into this week, God, of what you went through for us. We offer up our thanksgiving and our praise because we're looking at it from 2,000 years later, God. But we want to say thank you. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Thank you, Lord. I pray, God, for every family here that the peace of God and grace of God will be multiplied to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that anybody who believes on Jesus, your word says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we thank you for that wonderful promise that it's by grace we're saved through faith. 
and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. <laughs> Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name. Lord, for those that need healing here today, I thank you for ministering healing. The moment that first stripe was laid upon your back, Lord, a fountain of healing was opened up, and it is still flowing freely and strong today. Those that are broken, those that are hurting, those that are sick, those that are fighting disease, I thank you now. In pain, you bore their sickness, their maladies, their calamities, their pains, and their diseases. And I thank you, Lord. And you carried their pains and, and that by your stripes, they are healed in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Now may the Lord bless you and may he keep you and may he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and all of your house and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.